Our New Testament passage today picks up in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Now, the very first word we find there is, therefore. All that stuff we read yesterday about Jesus being the real sacrifice, that all those things in the Old Testament were just types and shadows of the good things to come, that Jesus had a body provided for him, and that Jesus, according to the will of the Father, laid down that body as the sacrifice to provide forgiveness and to provide perfection, to provide change in our lives. Now, because of all that Jesus has done there, verse 19, therefore, okay, let me erase that, make it bigger. Therefore, brothers, now he's writing to believers. Always remember who things are addressed to. Therefore, brothers, since or because we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He said, hey, because of what Jesus has done, things are different now. Now we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What are these holy places? Th this is the heavenly. Now, Paul understood they're not going to let anybody into the holy or the ho holy place or the holy of holies on Temple Mount. But he said, we have confidence to enter the real, <laughs> the real ones, the real deal. We have confidence to enter the holy places, the real places, the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. All right, so the body of Jesus is the new way, is the living way, and it was the curtain. Now, there's one of that types and symbols, that curtain that was a handbreadth thick, that was torn in two at the death of Jesus, opening the way into the heavenly holy of holies. No longer can only the high priest go in there once a year. Now, every believer can come into the presence. Every believer can come into the presence of God. Did I say every? Every believer can come into the presence of God. Now, th this is why in the early days, the Israelites called the church the way. We weren't called Christians among the Jewish believers. We were called the way. We were called Christians beginning there in Antioch of Assyria. Christian means Christ-like. But the Jewish believers were called the way because Jesus is the way, the new way, the living way. His body was that curtain that was torn in two. That curtain was the type and symbol of Jesus's body. And it was torn in two. We now can enter into the presence of God through Jesus. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, the house of God is the family of God. He said, now, since all this is true, okay, since, okay, come back to that word since, since all this is true, let us, like a bigger arrow, since all this is true, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, so he said, I want you to draw near. But he said, I want you to draw near with the following thoughts. Number one, with a true heart. I want you to draw near in full assurance of faith. He said, I want you to draw near with your hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. I want you to draw near with your bodies washed with pure water. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, all of these are things these Jewish people would understand. Okay? The blood has been sprinkled upon us. Just like the, the high priest used to sprinkle the blood for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Not poured clean, sprinkled clean. Not sprinkled with water, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. All the ritual baths in Jerusalem, that you had to go through that bath. In fact, maybe on our next Israel tour, we'll be able to see the, the special pools that were built in the ancient city of King David. The ancient city, way down at the bottom. And then they would walk up this road. I just read an article on the, they found the ancient pools that where the pilgrims used to wash. And then they'd walk up this one street all the way to Temple Mount. Bodies washed with pure water. We've been washed in the water of the Holy Spirit. He says, all right, since we've done that, number one, let us draw near. He said, and number two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promises faithful. Now, here's what you got to get a hold of. You can hold fast the confession of hope without wavering, not because your perfect faith, but because he who promised is faithful. Now, every confession of hope, not just of salvation, but every confession of hope in all the promises of God the reason we can hold on to them without wavering has nothing to do with, I have great faith. It has to do with who he is. Not what I am, who he is. He who promised is faithful. I've often told you that I don't trust in my faith. I trust in a faithful God. Now, now please, just get a hold of that. Now, you know I teach the principles of faith and confession. But there are people that have faith in their faith. I don't have faith in my faith. I have faith in a faithful God. I cannot waver, not because of my great faith. I cannot waver because he who promised is faithful. Oh, beloved, please get a hold of this. You could not waver for healing because he who promised is faithful. You cannot waver for your financial needs to be met, because he who promised is faithful. Every confession of hope, now this is primary here about our salvation, but every confession we can hold on to without doubting, without wavering, not because of our great faith or great knowledge, but because of who he is. Because even when I'm faithless, he's faithful. Sometimes I feel like that man whose son was possessed and he looked at Jesus and said, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. 
Sometimes we just choose to believe and just say, Lord, you're faithful to your promises. I'm not trusting in my ability to lay hold of the promises. I'm trusting in your faithfulness to your promises. Oh, I've got to be careful. I'm going to start preaching. He said, and number three, let us consider. In other words, let's think about something. Let's think about how to stir up one another to love and good works, all right? Not stir up strife, all right? Stir up one another to love and to good works. Not strife. You know, there are some people that just want to badmouth everybody and stir up strife everywhere they go. Paul said, that's not what I want you to do. He said, since we have this confidence, okay, since all of what Jesus has done, number one, let us draw near. Number two, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Number three, let us consider. Let's sit down and think about, how can I encourage those people to love more? How can I encourage these people to do more good works? Oh, so we're not stirring up division and strife. We're stirring up love and good works. But pastor, you don't know what they did to me. Well, shut up. Okay. I mean, just, sometimes you just have to tell yourself to shut up. Okay. I, I, Folks, please. Everybody gets hurt in life. Okay. Now, are you going to walk around ah, and stir up strife and division? Or are you going to sit down and say, now, you know what? How can I stir up people toward love? How, how can I stir up people to good works? Oh, this is really easy to preach, but really hard to live. All right. We need to sit down and think about this. Do you ever spend time thinking about this? How can I get those people in my connect group to walk in love more? How can I get those people in my connect group to, to do more good works? How can I stir up my, the, my family to love more? How can I stir up my family to do more good works? Not strife, not division, but love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. All right, straight up, everybody, as is the habit of some. Now, how do you get into bad habits? Well, sometimes it's outside of your control. Lockdown. Many of you had tremendous habits. You were in church every week. You loved the house of God. You loved the presence of God. But now since lockdown, it's really easy to skip church. Well, you know, we're just staying home and watching online. And But you're young. What's your problem? <laughs> you're a young professional. You go out and work every day. You could be in the house of God. Excuse me. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Sometimes bad habits aren't because you made a decision. Sometimes bad habits are because you got locked down. You got forced into a bad habit. And now you have to consciously break out of that bad habit. This weekend, I'm going to preach a sermon called Return to the Flame. And would every one of you get on the phone and get on your text messages and get everybody into church this weekend? Now, if you don't want the bigger crowds, you can come Friday night or Saturday night or 7.30 or, or 12.30 on Sunday. If you want the larger crowds with 30% capacity, you can be there at 10 or you can be there at 3. But you, you need to be in church. We've got all these extra services. All these extra services are so that you will not feel unsafe. Now, be safe, be prudent, wear your mask, wear your shield. Yes, 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 yes. 
but you need to be in church. Wow. He said, don't neglect meeting together. It didn't say don't neglect watching together. He said, meet together. That's physical presence. (laughs) Okay. That's not YouTube. That's not Facebook. That's person. All right. (laughs) Point made. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. Now, there's a big question mark I have in my Bibles. But the fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Wow. Now notice, we. So he's talking to believers. There are believers who sin deliberately. They just, I'm going to do it. This is not a Galatians 6 slip-up. It's not a, a, a little yielding to temptation. It's a conscience, deliberate sin. It says, and go on. So it is continuous and it is deliberate. A continuous, deliberate lifestyle. After receiving a knowledge of the truth, you, you, you've gotten born again. Notice he's, he's talking about we. He's including himself in this. He said there no longer remains a sacrifice or sin. So yes, it is possible to lose. And I don't like that word lose. You don't lose your salvation like you you know, you lost your car keys. You don't lose your salvation like where did I leave my cell phone? This is a constant decision, a consistent, conscious, deliberate decision that you choose sin over Christ. You can walk away from your salvation. And all that is ahead is the fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire. That's hell. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and outraged the Spirit of grace? Wow. He said, all right, believers. Straight up, the old covenant was just types and shadows. But he said, this is the reality. When you have been saved and you've spurned the Son of God, you profaned the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. Past tense. This is a Christian. And you've outraged the Spirit of grace. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace. Grave talaga. So, you know, I know our Baptist brethren like to teach once saved, always saved. But as you can see here, (laughs) no, that's just not a true doctrine. That's a false doctrine. Now, now, beloved, please, this is harder than you think it is. Okay, this is this is not something that just happens. Oh, I, I turned away from God. No, 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 no. Consistent. Go on. Consistent. Sinning deliberately. Deliberate in full knowledge of what you're doing, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. I mean, this is a consistent, deliberate, knowing what you're doing, stick my finger in the eye of God, and I don't want anything to do with you. He said, "Mm." (sighs) that's a bad future ahead. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing 
to fall into the hands of a living God. God's not dead. But the living God isn't just the God of hope. He's a holy God. And vengeance is mine. As we read in Jeremiah, he's the God of recompense. Now again, all of this is harder than you think. It's not a little Galatians 6 slip-up. It's, it's not some young person who yielded to temptation and put his hands where they didn't belong. Okay. I understand the truth that a person can turn away from God. But what I'm telling you is it's harder than you think. Okay. But when you spurn, you spurn the Son of God. You outrage the Spirit of grace. That's a difficult thing. But recall the former days after you were enlightened. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. There's that persecution. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. So, all right, you, you did not avoid persecuted friends. Okay, you, you, you stood with them. You stood, you stood together. Or you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. There were Some of these believers had had everything they had taken away from them. That doesn't sound like prosperity, but it was persecution. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Wow. This life, life to come. In the life to come, we have better possessions and an abiding one. Sometimes we go through the persecution. Sometimes we go through the loss of all things for the sake of the name. You know, in our nation, we, we've never really faced this, beloved. And thank God. But right now, there are Christians in China that have their homes demolished. They've had their churches demolished. They've been fired from their job. They're living in poverty today because they chose to follow Jesus. Now, forgive me. They have rewards in heaven that may be greater than any rewards we ever have. They've paid prices that we've never had to pay. We live in such a blessed land. Let's remember to pray for the persecuted. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Wow. Don't throw away your confidence. Okay? Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Hold on. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. All right, so promises require the will of God and endurance. You want the promises of God, you need to walk in the will of God, and you need some endurance. For we have need of endurance, 
that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming. The rapture. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Sorry, in the face of persecution. The righteous one shall live by faith. People may take everything you have away. My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Never shrink back in persecution. Young people, when students start mocking you on campus because you're a Christian, don't shrink back. Be loud and proud for Jesus. Be bold for Jesus. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. All right? So when people shrink back, the effect, they're destroyed. But we are those who have faith, and the effect, we preserve our souls. Incredible, incredible stuff in there. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. And then Sister Bev's coming back to us with Ezekiel. Doesn't she have fun with you at Ezekiel?
Welcome back to Ezekiel. It is really my privilege to be able to go through this book of the Bible with you, not for the sake of teaching you everything in the book, but for us to go through it devotionally and to learn what we can learn, the principles of God that we can learn and apply to our own lives. Knowledge is one thing, but we need to turn that knowledge into wisdom, knowing how to live for God, knowing the how being able to apply it in our lives and see what we need to be doing in order to serve the Lord God with all of our hearts. Today in Ezekiel, we're going to start reading with chapter 8. And again, we are going to see the visions of Ezekiel and the, the heart of God when the people had turned to so much idolatry, pride, and sin in their midst. Chapter 8. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting beside me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And I think, wow, the hand of the Lord came upon him in a leaders meeting. How would you like that if you are uh, a connect leader, if you are a CS, a Council of Servants member, if you are a leader in the house of God, imagine if you were having a meeting in your house. And while you were in the meeting, the hand of the Lord came upon you and you started seeing visions from God. Wow, now that's really something. Then I looked and I saw, that's the NIV in the ESV, then I looked and behold, you see, we always remember that in the book of Ezekiel. Then I looked and I saw. If you don't look, you will not see. And where you look determines what you see, right? We're going to remember that forever and ever all of our lives. If we don't look, we will not see. And where we look determines what we see. What are we going to fill our eyes with, our mind with? Let's be careful where we are looking, because it makes a difference in what we see. 
what we see should be, we should be looking at the word of God, at his desire for us. Then I looked and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man below what appeared to be his waist was fire. And above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. All right. Have we seen this before? Yes, we've seen this in the very earliest chapters of Ezekiel, as he's describing the vision of actually seeing all these cherubim, all these, and then wheels within wheels, and the expanse, and the sapphire throne. We've seen all of these, and in the middle was this gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. <laughs> so, he took Ezekiel by the hair in this vision with his hand and the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. So in his vision, God lifted him up by the hair and let him see a bigger view, lifted him up brought him in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where there was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. A lot of times, Ezekiel doesn't actually name the idols that he's talking about. And I don't blame him. Why should we become experts in all these foreign idols, in things that have been exalted above God, why should we even call them by name? There's just a couple of them that he does mention by name. But here he says the image of jealousy. And of course, anything that we have put above God provokes God to jealousy, a holy jealousy. He is a jealous God, he tells us. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate, in the entrance, was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary? But you will still see greater abominations." Remember we said in an earlier chapter that the worst, therefore, of all is that the Lord would withdraw his presence from us? There was a list of, therefore, they sinned, and therefore, and they still wouldn't stop. Therefore, the worst, therefore, is when God says, okay, I'm out of here. And here he says, okay, I'm going to show you. I'm showing you, I'm explaining to you, I'm letting you see. And God with Ezekiel was very, very visual, showing him and asking him to dramatize things, showing him the sin of the people that was leading to him withdrawing from the sanctuary. But, he says, you will still see greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. <laughs> drama, drama, Ezekiel, do the things that I'm telling you. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. So I went in and I saw. 
And there, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah the son of Shaphan standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went, went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the dark? Each in his room of pictures? Oh, sin happens in the dark. Sin happens when you isolate yourself and you find a secluded place. When you have to do that, when you have to find a secluded place to do what you're doing, you probably shouldn't be doing it. When you have to get away from your family because you just want to drink or you just want to whatever, have a, a relationship that you know you shouldn't be having. We're not children of the darkness. We are children of the light. We need to live in the light. But these things are being done in the dark. For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He also said to me, you will still see greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Why weeping for Tammuz? That is one of the idols that he mentions by name. Tammuz was a Babylonian cult, and the people of Israel had like imported beliefs, idols, religion from everywhere. And this was a Babylonian cult involving ritual prostitution, magic arts, and Tammuz was apparently supposedly the god of fertility who had supposedly died and come back to life. You know, died and come back to life, hello. Satan has an imitation of all the good things that God has laid out for us, all the pure and precious truths of our salvation. Satan has imitations somewhere because by all means, he wants to make you doubt your salvation. And so there was this uh, cult where the women involved in ritual prostitution, they would weep because of the death of Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? So this is at the entrance of the house of the Lord. It's God's house. And in God's house, people were engaged in prostitution. People were engaged in idol worship. And he brought me into the inner courts of the house of the Lord, the inner courts. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Oh my goodness. Men in the inner courts of the Lord with their backs to the Lord God. They had turned their backs on God. And where did they turn their faces? To the worship of the sun. Wow. That, that sounds like we're going back to the Egyptian gods. We, the people of Israel had ab adopted these idols, this worship of idols and demon gods from all the nations around them. And they had brought it right into the house of God. 
such a detailed explanation from God, explaining to Ezekiel so that Ezekiel can record it and people would know exactly what is it that brought about the departure of God from his sanctuary. Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Chapter 9. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, and you notice how often in Ezekiel those phrases are just flipped. These people will cry out, but God will not hear them. But then God cries out in Ezekiel's ears, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen, with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood at the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. Remember that the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, it rested above the Ark of the Covenant where there were two cherubim and the wings were touching each other. And there the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, dwelt. So there, in the house of God, was the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and there was the manifest presence of God. Can God dwell? Can God's glory be shared with ritual prostitution, with all of these worshiping the sun, with all of these idols? Can God stay there? But I want you to begin to see a journey of patience. And I want you to begin to see, we'll talk about it today, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, how patient the Lord is before he expresses his wrath. How patient he is with us. He doesn't want to leave us. If you are a child of God, he doesn't want to leave you. He wants, his desire is to be with you. That is why from the very time of the Garden of Eden, he walked with his creation and talked with them in the cool of the evening. And that is why the Son of God came and gave his life for us. He wants to be with us. He doesn't want to withdraw. He doesn't want to go away, but he cannot dwell with evil. And yet he is so Patient. So what is this first step? The glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it rested. And where did it go? To the threshold of the house, to the doorstep. Just going to get up and move a little bit. And God's going to say, all right, I'm getting up now. <laughs> I'm moving. I'm on my way. I'm leaving. Does anybody notice, any one of you? Do you notice that I'm not in the same place in your life that I was? Does anybody notice? 
God is so patient with us. He's going to move gradually, slowly. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare, you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. And oh, we could talk about that for some time. Because he marks those who belong to him. And you better realize that, that God makes a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, between those who know him and call upon him and grieve over the wickedness in the land around them, and those who revel in the wickedness. He puts a mark on that. And we know from Scripture, judgment begins at the house of God, and here it says, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. It starts in the house of God. We need to live humbly and seek the Lord. Amen. Then he said to them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking and I was left alone, I fell upon my face and cried, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood and the city full of injustice. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land. The Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen, with the writing case at his waist, brought back words, saying, I have done as you commanded me. Chapter 10 Then I looked, and I saw. <laughs> then I looked, and behold, ESV says, when you look, you see. Let God show you things. You know, when you're having your devotions, ask God, God, I'm looking at these words. Will you let me see the truth here? Will you let me see wonderful things from your word? Ask God, Lord, when I see the wicked, when I'm looking at the wicked, let me see what you see. Let me feel about that sin the way you feel about it. Let me not be enticed to go with them. And Lord, when I look at the hungry and the helpless, let me see what you see. You will never see unless you look. And what you see will depend on where you're looking. Then I looked, and behold, I saw. On the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared something like sapphire, in appearance like a throne. There's the sapphire throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he went in before my eyes. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house, 
And when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court, and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord. Other translations say the court was radiant with the glory of the Lord. This is the result of God's manifest presence. When God is present, there is radiance, radiantly beautiful, radiantly glorious. The glory of God is radiant. And even though the glory of God had lifted up from the cherubs and moved to the doorway, then the whole courtyard just became radiant with the glory of God. Now, this is something important to remember because we're going to see it again. So remember, when the patient God lifts up his presence, he's so patient, he doesn't want to leave his people, but he lifts them, he lifts up his presence from the cherubim, he moves over to the doorway, and when he gets to the doorway, the whole courtyard is radiantly glorious. And it's like God is saying, here I am, here I am, people, here I am. Oh, believer in God, here I am. I, I'm moving. Can't you see the glory of my presence as I get up and move away? Aren't you noticing something different? Aren't you noticing that the glory of God is there? And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. And when he commanded the man clothed in linen, take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim. He went in and stood beside a wheel. And a cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire that was between the cherubim and took some of it and put it in the hands of the man clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a man, of a human hand under their wings. And I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub. So cherub is the singular, cherubim, because I am is the pluralizer in Hebrew, cherubim, and beside each cherub. And the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling barrel. Remember we said these cherub that Ezekiel is describing they don't look anything like the cute little cherubs that, <laughs> that supposedly are around at Valentine's shooting their arrows at people. Nothing like that. Much, much, much more glorious and creative and beautiful. And as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness, as if a wheel were within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. But in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the others followed without turning as they went. And their whole body, their rims and their spokes, their wings and the wheels were full of eyes all around the wheels that the four of them had. And as for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. And each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub the second the face of a human face, the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. And the cherubim mounted up, 
These were the living creatures that I saw by the Chibar Canal. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them, and when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. When they stood still, these stood still, and when they mounted up, these mounted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth and before my eyes as they went with the wheels beside them. This is the journey. God is so patient. He lifted up from the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubs, lifted up his glorious presence, the radiant presence. Just move to the doorway. Hey, anybody notice? I'm leaving. Hello. <laughs> and yet they did not seek him. They did not call out. Even though the courtyard became radiant with the glory of God, they're not noticing. And gradually, gradually now, the, the glory of God, the presence of God, the manifest presence is lifting up again, it's moving toward the eastern gate of the house of the Lord, gradually moving away. What did God say? Their idolatry, their, these abominations, these are the things that caused him to drive him from his sanctuary. And yet he is not driven away easily. You cannot just lose God's presence just like that. You lose God's presence slowly because he is patient and he desires the repentance of all men. And he'll do everything to show you, I'm here, I'm here. I want you to know that I am the Lord. And it says, and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. These were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Cheber Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, each had four wings, and underneath their wings the likeness of human hands. And as for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen at the Cheber Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. Wow, the visions that Ezekiel, the son of man, had. Amazing. And where did he start having these visions again this time? When he was having a leaders meeting, <laughs> sitting with the leaders in his house, and the hand of God came upon him, and he looked and he saw. Expect things from God. Expect God to show you things from his word. Expect God to reveal himself and his will to you. Amen. God is no respecter of persons. Well, that is our Ezekiel reading for today. Thank you so much for joining us for our morning devotions. It would be our great pleasure to see you again tonight at the COP online evening service at 7 p.m. God bless.